Hello. Good start. <laughs> you don't get that in many places, do you? Um, yeah, my name's Thomas. I'm Thomas's son. I call him Rev because it gets confusing in our family these days. My son is also named Thomas. My wife is pregnant. Um, we're expecting another one, another little boy in early October. And the most quite a common question I get is, what are you naming him? And yes, we're going to name him Thomas and just keep it going. <laughs> There's no way I'm getting away with that. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting for me being back. I, I grew up in this church. Yeah. Um, I, I have so many fond memories. And I was saying to Rach last night, I can remember, it's like I started learning how to um, serve God in this church. Um, and I started my very first job serving in church was doing what Mr. Alex is doing up the back. Now I started learning how the sound desk operates. And I can remember we had some sort of special service and there would have been two or three hundred people squished in this room for a dedication or you know, Easter service or saying, and I'm up the back controlling everything and suddenly everything goes dark. I've hit the wrong button. The screen switches off. Everything stops. And I, don't, I didn't have the voice that I have now. It was a lot more high-pitched. And all Dad can hear as he's trying to preach from the back is, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> that went over well. So that's where I started. Um, so a little bit about Rachel and I. We now go to uh, C3 in Cronulla. Oh, it's nice. No, actually called C3 Home. I should get that right now. Get on the, uh, the marketing bandwagon. <laughs> um, C3 Home, um, spelt without an O for some reason. So it's C3 Hmm. It's apparently the stylish thing to do these days. You just skip out some vowels and not all of them. It's great. But we come here from, um, from that church and we're, we, we love being there. And um, I think what makes us fit really in there is that we have this message from C3 Home, which is we're strictly inclusive. And I know that that has always been my experience of growing up in this church as well, is that it doesn't matter what background you come from, you're welcome here that we carry uh, an idea that churches were not supposed to be these country clubs for the morally elite, but they're supposed to be hospitals of hope for humanity. And it doesn't matter where you come from, you're welcome. So I don't know all the faces in the room right now, but if church is a new experience for you, we're, we're aware that there are experiences that you could have had that are, are less than ideal. But would you give us a clean slate this morning? Because it's not an accident that you're here. We don't think that there's some sort of cosmic joke or cosmic guess that you're here. You're here for a reason and we're all in this room so that you can have an encounter with Jesus this morning. We honestly do believe that, so welcome. So I wanted to start with one of my favourite party conversations. I have this conversation all the time. Rev and I have it. Constantly, it's a bit of a like a golf club type conversation. I, I always get excited and goosebumpy when I think about it. Rach hates me talking about it because she thinks I get ahead of myself and I think it's going to come true. But I love talking about what it would be like to win the lottery. I love talking about it. I love thinking about it. The hairs on my 
arms stand up, I get excited because I think of the cars that I can buy. I think of how I would design my dream home if I won 10, 20 million dollars, what it would be like. Yeah. And I wonder for you, what, what does it do for you inside when you think about winning the lottery? Do you get excited or for Rachel it creates a little bit of anxiety because she's like, oh, I just don't want to talk about it. And she never has that conversation with me. But Dad and I will sit on the balcony of the golf club with a lime cordial and look out and talk about what it would be to be like, to just be able to go home and say, pack a bag, we're jumping on a plane, forget about work, we're just going to get out of here. And we just think that would be the best time. And I get so excited because I genuinely believe that I'm going to win the lottery one day. I really do. I don't buy lottery tickets, so I don't know how it's going to work, but I think it'll happen because I think I'm meant to have a lot of holidays. <laughs> I hate working, you know. <laughs> but it gets interesting for me because I hear, I listen to a lot of, a lot of sermons. I have a lot of time that I spend in my car and I listen to a lot of people talk about their experience of Christianity. I listen to my friends talk about their experience of Christianity. And I hear so many people describe becoming a Christian for the first time, like winning the lottery. That living a Christian life is somehow you've won the lottery, that Jesus has come in and everything's done. And I get it, like I do. But I also think that if you follow that out and you unpack that out too much, because I think we do a lot, it's a one-way road to disappointment, thinking that everything now is sorted. No more pain, no more hurt, no more heartache, no more bills. That somehow, because Jesus is now in your life, you don't have to go to work anymore. That colleague isn't going to stab you in the back. That somehow, without exercising, you're going to get six-pack washboard abs. That you're going to go home and in some sort of like magical trick, your kitchen's going to start cleaning itself. I think back to the sword and the stone with King Arthur when the pots and pans start scrubbing themselves. That's not the reality, is it? It's a fantasy and it's a fairy tale. And I know the last couple of things that on that list are ridiculous. But there is something within us that I think that we get upset when bad stuff happens. And I'm not talking about stubbing your toe. I'm talking about the really bad stuff. That's a bit of my story is... Where is my faith when the bad stuff happens? Because if there was no bad stuff, everybody would want in, right? If that was the actual reaction, like the actual reality of Christianity. And so I wanted to read with you from Matthew 26. Starting in verse 36. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. I am Iron Man. Sorry. Funny. He took Peter and his two sons of Zebedee along with him. And they began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, 
If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for the cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away, went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look. The hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayal. In that moment, was Jesus all right? Do you think he was all right? No. Do you think that somehow he thought, oh, God's, God's got my back, everything's fine, I'm, I'm the Son of God, nothing bad can happen to me? Jesus was not okay. In fact, he thought he had some friends to go through the experience with him and they let him down constantly in that moment. Have you had a moment like that where you've thought, it's okay, at least my friends will be around me. It's okay. You know, I have an experience and I've had this experience the last few years and I talk about it particularly with dad a lot is that I've had an experience over the last few years of dealing with depression and dealing with anxiety and all that brings for me. And it's actually funny how much you expect your friends to get it and how much they really don't get it and how disappointed you can end up. And I've said to Dad a lot, and I think he shared it with some of you before, but sometimes I feel like you're sitting in a dark room. You can't see the hand in front of your face. You don't know what's going on and everything feels helpless. And somebody wants to walk into my room or knock on the door of my room and say, mate, turn the lights on in here. Why are you sitting in the dark? The light switch isn't working. Or have you tried turning it on and off again? Yes. Have you tried changing the light bulb? Yes, I've tried changing the light bulb. Have you checked the meter out the side? Maybe a fuse is blown. I've checked it. But I said, it's really rare that somebody will walk into my dark room, put an arm around me and say, mate, let's just sit here in the dark together until it's not dark anymore. And you end up just feeling disappointed because the people who aren't scared of the dark are few and far between. I think it's an interesting thing for us as Christians because I think that in a lot of circumstances we'll walk into church, and I don't know if it's been your experience of church, but we walk into church feeling like we're sitting in a dark room And everybody expects us to walk in and suddenly turn the lights on. And somehow as Christians, that's scared of us if we walk somebody walking in who's got, who's crying or there's snot everywhere and we want to give them tissues and clean them up and stop embarrassing yourself. It's interesting for me because I've been in that place and I kind of think that as Christians, it's not our job to recoil from the dark is that job to walk in and bring the light of Jesus with us and begin to light that room up Jesus was not okay 
And you've got to know that because it was okay for Jesus to not be okay, it must be okay to not be okay. That's a lot of okays, I know, but it's got to be okay to not be okay. And I'm sure we've all heard that before. There's lots of, um, there's lots of social talks about mental health and depression and anxiety, and I'm not necessarily talking about the clinical versions of that either, because I don't think that everybody can relate. But it's interesting how we stop at that point in church, because we miss out that in all of that, God's actually okay. That God is not somehow creating the pain that you're going through or allowing you to go through pain. God doesn't want you to go through pain. He didn't create it. But the pain happens and God uses it. So I said before, if Christianity isn't a lottery, what is it? Christianity has to be a gift, right? It's, it's, it's more of a promise. It's more of a, an understanding that walking with Jesus is not about a single moment where you sit there and you give your life to Jesus. That is a significant and beautiful moment, but that's the beginning of that journey. That's not that it's over and everything's rosy from there on. The gift I find, and I've been talking, like thinking about this a lot this week, is this promise that we'll never be left alone. And that even though the room seems really dark, that's not actually what's going on. That somewhere there is a little pilot light flickering. And the verse that's really been sitting with me in all of that is in um, John 16, 33, and it's going to be on the screen. Jesus is actually talking to his disciples and saying that there is going to be a time when you're alone. There's going to be a time where I'm no longer here with you. There's going to be a time when you're going to be scattered and you don't even have each other to rely on. And things are going to get really tough. In this world, you will have trouble or tribulation. But take heart for I've overcome the world. That stuff is already dealt with and taken care of. So you can sit in a dark room feeling like nobody's there to help, feeling like nobody understands, feeling like that. Every, the one comment that I get all the time is, Tom, why don't you just do this? And I sit there and I feel like I've got nothing else to give. If only people understood. I don't have one more thing that I can do. I don't have one more opportunity to just say it's okay. Sometimes when you're sitting there on the edge and people are just like, you've just got to do something. It's not always up to you. Sometimes it's about just sitting there and letting the pain pass. Because it will pass. It does pass. And sometimes it comes in waves and it can seem like it's going to take an eternity. But we have a promise from Christ to hold on to hope, to take heart, because he's already overcome the world. I wanted to give two quick examples and two quick stories of while I was thinking about it. And the two guys that came to, oh, the two stories that came to mind, well, they're not stories, but the two accounts that came to mind were uh, in the book of Daniel. 
there's two almost back to back and you start with three guys called Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. A little while ago they made, a, have you heard of Veggie Tales? Has anyone heard of Veggie Tales? It's like a cartoon where vegetables play Bible characters. That's for kids. I right, listen to it. And they made one called Shadrach and Benny were the three guys. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Shadrach and Benny. And the story goes that these three Hebrew guys had been taken into Babylon. They'd been captured and they'd taken in, been taken into Babylon. And they'd been given such a standing over time that they were such hard workers and lived such an amazing godly life in this community that they had started being placed in charge of stuff. And while it was going on, the king of the time, who has uh, got the longest name I've ever heard, Nebuchadnezzar, and try and say that four times fast. I actually like giving that as my name for coffee orders. Can I just get a name for your long black, please? Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar. How do you spell that? Just write Tom, it's fine, it's a joke. But the king of the time, Nebuchadnezzar, liked the uh, toot of his own trumpet, liked the beat of his own drum, you know. Thought he was... Thought it's interesting, kings thought they were gods back in their time. And he builds himself this 27 metre high, 27 metres high gold image of himself and declares that everybody, when the music plays in the morning, everybody must fall prone, face down and worship my gods and the image of me. Word gets around that the Hebrew guys are not having a bar of it. They're not having a bar of it. And Nebuchadnezzar hears that there's these three Hebrew guys who are refusing to bow down to his statue. And he says, anybody that doesn't bow down to my statue is going to get burnt alive in the furnace. And he hears about these three well-thought-of, very-respected Hebrew guys that aren't bowing to his idol. And they say, God's going to protect us. Those three guys ended up in the fire. I wonder what it would have been like being called into the palace, thinking like you've got the moral high ground. I'm trusting God. I'm doing the right thing. And I'm being called out for it. And I'm going to lose my life because of it. I guess that there's some, there'll be something where you get a bit of adrenaline and you're like, no, I'm going to stand firm. But it's human to sit there and go, what? But I don't deserve that. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm, I'm doing the right thing. There's another guy, Daniel. Daniel has a similar experience. There's a law that is passed under a new king, Darius, who says that you were to pray to no other gods but ours. Word gets around that Daniel still prays and worships his God and his God alone feels like he's taking the moral high ground again. Well respected, well thought of in his community. The king orders Daniel's execution and throws him into a den full of starved lions and shuts the lid on it. How's Daniel feeling? But I'm doing what you asked me, God. How much do we do that? I'm doing what you asked me, God. It can't get more dark than that. And I don't think it does. And I think we have situations 
And I find it interesting, the perspective that we have. Because today, in our communities, we can be well respected. And all of a sudden you go, but that's morally wrong. But no, God doesn't want me to behave that way. No, God calls me to be different. And we think that when we meet opposition to that, that somehow we don't deserve it or somehow we should be above it or somehow our religious freedom should be protected. And for me, that's simply not the call of being a follower of Jesus. It was never about protection. And it was never about religious freedom. And it was never about being able to have the ideas that whatever you want. Jesus, the Son of God, ended up being crucified for the things that he said. Why do we think we can do that? Because we have this weird perspective on pain. We have a weird understanding of what it means to be in pain. And it's something that I've now had to deal with for the last three years and get my perspective on what it means to be a follower of God and be in pain. Because it has been built up in my head from immaturity that somehow God was always going to fly in on a white pegasus and deal with the problems in my life. But the more and more I look at it, the more and more I understand that every problem that I've had in my life brings me to a new understanding of how I can follow God better. And a new understanding of to get through the pain. It's not about me doing anything different. It's not about me relying on something else or trying harder or doing a new Bible study or doing this, but actually just getting in the car in the morning for my hour-long drive and just put on some worship music and just sit and just be in the presence of the Holy Spirit who is a helper sent to us to help us deal with this stuff. It's not always about doing one more thing. Sometimes it's about changing your perspective. I heard a really interesting point this week about David and Goliath. We all know the David and Goliath story, right? Where David, we know the end of that story. David slays the giant. And the whole way, David is defiant in the face of this giant. And it's interesting for us because as a person who grew up in church, I hear that story and that's a story of triumph for me. But I know the ending of that story. I have perspective. I wonder what it was like for David and the Israelites. Because it's not a story of triumph. It was a story of oppression. When we pull ourselves out of the perspective sometimes, I think that we have an ability to understand what take heart, I've overcome the world means. And it doesn't mean that we won't have pain. It means that our pain is worth something. It's not saying it's going to get pushed aside. It's going to be something that's going to take us further. Because in those stories with Shadrach and Benny and Daniel, we see that God doesn't just allow them to suffer and go into anonymity. He steps in. In that fire where the three guys were put in, it says that the flames were so hot, it killed the people building the fire. 
And the three guys sat in the fire and Jesus sat right next to them. And just incredible. Like, when? I mean, I'm, just, I'm trying to think of the right words. I call it a flex. My friends call it a flex. It's like a power move. Incredible power move towards a king that says, I'm God. I'm going to kill you. And the three guys sit there and God shows up and says, what fire? Daniel, sitting alone. And the Spirit of God comes down and closes, oh, the angel of God comes down and closes the mouth of the lions, sends him some company. And huge flakes. You're not going to execute my people. But there's still incredible pain there. There's still incredible suffering there. There's still incredible loneliness there. But God shows up and sits in the room with us. When you listen to the song, there's another in the fire. Think back to my analogy of the dark room. And for so long, I was so stoked with that analogy. I've gone, it's such a great articulation of how I feel. It's everybody needs to jump on board because that's how I feel. And my feelings are completely accurate. And I now understand that that was not a full picture. Because I assume that there's pitch blackness constantly. And maybe there always will be. But the reality is, there's probably a pilot light sitting down in there with my depression that I need to focus on. Because you ever sat in a dark room, you start focusing on a little light, and your eyes begin to open, and your eyes begin to let the light come in, you can start to see. And the light grows bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Sometimes all it takes is to sit there in the presence of God, and now allow his light to come into you and grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's my hope for you this morning. And it's my hope that you can pass that on because I know not everybody sits there and feels like, you know, I've got this dark hole in me or I've got this pain that I'm experiencing. I mean, we all experience pain at some level, but maybe it can help you bring perspective to your pain or to your friend's pain and allow you to minister to them and allow you to be an influence in their lives. I'm honestly done, and I preach pretty quick. I think that's why I'm popular. <laughs> um, but it would be remiss of me to not pray for you and give anybody an opportunity to respond to Jesus that wants to. Because I'm not here spruiking some sort of fix and some sort of get out of jail free card and some sort of lottery ticket experience. But what I am promising is that you'll never be alone. Even when you're sitting in a den full of lions, you're not alone. And when you're sitting in a hot furnace, you're not alone sitting in your own dark room. And if you want a little pile of light to focus on, would you respond with me this morning? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If that's you this morning,
and you're saying, I don't know Jesus, and I don't know what it would be like to have that little pilot light to focus on, to allow that light and that hope to grow within me. And you would like me to pray for you, and you would like me to receive Jesus' gift, to receive Jesus' promise, that through him you can have a relationship with God, and through him that you can experience the experience the everlasting life that God says. In the Bible, in John 3.16, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I'm just going to ask you, just so I know who I'm praying for this morning, if that's you, would you raise your hand? Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, King of all kings, Lord of lords, you love us so much that you came to this earth and as we read, you were tempted, you suffered, and you knew that there was a greater purpose to draw us to you and draw us to God to have a relationship. Thank you for the people that responded this morning. Would you send your Holy Spirit to fill them, fill their souls, to guide them, to lead them, to provide hope. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your free gift. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks, Thomas. We're going to, just as we're thinking about our response to God a little more, we're going to stand and sing together again. And Guys, is it possible for us to try to sing that new song that we played just before Thomas's message? Can we put that on or is that difficult to... Can we do that? Let's stand together. And I know this is new to us, but let's, if you don't know it, let the lyrics minister to you. If you feel you can sing it, sing to it. Let's sing. There's another in the fire. Let's sing this together.